Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Hey, friends, and welcome to another show. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer, and today joining me is a dear friend, Chaplain Brian Heller. Brian, thanks so much for coming on our show. Uh, you and your wife, Jeanette, are real dear, dear friends of Kirk and mine. Uh, in fact, we're so close that you are our daughter's baptism sponsors, and we are your newest daughter's baptism sponsors. Um, we think you're a really cool family, but can you introduce yourself to our listeners so that they know a little bit more about you? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Steph, for uh, having me today. But yeah, just a little bit about myself. Uh, so my wife and I have been married going on eight years now in August. Uh, so that's great. We have uh, three wonderful kids, Isaac, who's four, Carly, who's two, or Isaac, who's five. Yeah, Sorry, I was just going to correct you. <laughs> I say, wow, May came fast. Okay, so Isaac, who's five, as of a few days ago. Carly, who's two, going on three, and then our newest daughter, Anna, who is uh, almost, I guess, going on four months, born in December, so however many months that is. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. So <laughs> No, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to text your wife, and she's going to know exactly. She won't have to calculate. She will. She will. <laughs> so uh, it all kind of blurs together after the few first few months. But uh, yeah, so we... Um, have been out in the uh, St. Louis area. I've been serving as a chaplain at LaCleve Groves uh, Lutheran Senior Services here in uh, St. Louis for going on, it's going to be a year in August. Uh, my family and I, uh, we actually live on the Illinois side over in Glen Carbon, Illinois, and um, kids there um, are attending parochial Lutheran school on that side of the river, and it's just been a great experience getting to know everyone and uh, just super welcoming. Uh, although we do miss the times with you, you know, from we both <laughs> a little bit of background, we both uh, served in um, neighboring towns yes. in northern Illinois. So yes. that's how we met, became friends. And uh, yeah. 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 Those were some special times. Uh, our our oldest boys are really good friends and, and pretty much uh, spent their first what? Well, from from a year old to, to, to three and a half, having play dates together you know, nearly weekly. And um, yeah, you guys were just real important to us um, at that new point in our ministry and, and still are. So I really appreciate you sharing your time with us um, yeah. today. Brian, what led you to be serving at um, Laclede Le- Le- Groves where you are now? So it actually, uh, that's a good question. So during seminary, I took a unit of clinical pastoral education. So that's CPE is kind of shorthand version, which I'll use from now on in this podcast. And what that does, it helps like seminary students, pastors, uh, deaconesses, whoever wants to serve like in a specialized pastoral ministry role, uh, just kind of learn um, by doing. That's kind of their big thing. Uh, so, you know, if you have a visit with someone, you have a, a supervisor and you, t- you go back and then you write a verbatim. So you kind of write an account of the visits and then you can kind of see, you know, maybe some more insights, you know, what worked, what didn't work, how maybe you could ask some better questions or really get to the, you know, to the underlying surface of some of these um, issues that people might be facing. So it, it was a great experience. Um, I was working at a trauma hospital in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and just every day was different. And it was just such a uni- unique type of ministry. I loved it. And uh and had a blast. And then we went over to uh, to parish ministry in Walnut at Holy Trinity. And I love that too. The people were amazing. They cared for us. They loved us. They supported us. And we really had no intentions of leaving because uh, we were so happy there. I think kind of out of the blue, uh, someone had nominated my name on this um, on his call list for a position here at uh, Laclede Groves and kind of went through the process and uh, was selected for this position. And there's a lot of discernments as calls go and as 
as people know, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And just, I mean, really for the sake of, I was really passionate about what we were doing in in Walnut. So it was heartbreaking to leave, but uh, St. Louis really gave more opportunities for um, my wife, who's a deaconess, kids to, uh, to attend a parochial school. And, and also, you know, there are some needs here too, that I could definitely uh, address and help be a part of a, of a ministry presence here. Yeah. So can you clarify for us, uh, so obviously you went to seminary, um, you are a pastor, reverend is part of your title, but now we call you chaplain. So is there a difference between chaplain, pastor, or is chaplain just a, a special extra title? Yeah. So a chaplain is someone who is not serving in, tr- in a traditional parish ministry context. Uh, they're serving actually in a specialized pastoral ministry setting. So we've got, for example, a chaplain serving at the International Center, Center here in St. Louis. We have chaplains serving in hospitals, uh, nursing, nurse, nursing places, here at LaClea Groves, uh, senior living facilities, hospice, all of these different avenues are places where, where chaplains serve outside of a parish setting. Specifically, like when you move from your parish ministry setting in, in Walnut, right. Illinois, and now here, it's a, um, a Lutheran um, senior, uh, like, is it a, a retirement a community, yeah. um, assisted living? What kind of uh, so place is it now? It's kind of all the above. It's, okay. it's uh, essentially a retirement community. We've got like independent living uh, areas. Uh, so those people are, are really, I mean, self-sufficient. So they go out, go to the, a lot of them go to their own churches, okay. go out to eat, things like that. And just live here, you know, just have that community. And it's great. And there's so many different groups there. I mean, there's, they have like shuffleboard groups and just all these really fun activities that go on. Uh, we also have an assisted living. And that's kind of just a, um, for those that might need a little bit more help, but still really uh, self-sufficient uh, I mean, even they will, you know, go out to eat too and everything. And they got a lot of activities. We got our memory care unit, and those are for our our dear souls that are suffering from uh, like dementia or Alzheimer's and things like that, and just really need um, a safe place to, uh, to to grow and thrive. And it's just amazing, you know, if you take someone from our assisted living area to the memory care, maybe they're not doing so well in assisted living, getting lost, things like that, a mm-hmm. lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Once they get into memory care, they thrive because they have, you know, everything really broken down and meeting their needs. And it's not overwhelming in things. So it's, it's a huge blessing. And then we have our care center, which is, uh, you know, for people that that really need just a lot of extra care. And um, a lot of people there are going to be uh, kind of, you know, hospital bed, not hospital bed, um, but like kind of. You know, the, their mobility might be a little bit limited, things like that. And they'll, you know, maybe need a little bit more help uh, to do activities and things like that. Okay. And then what about hospice? Is that something that, um, an area that you minister in So now? we actually, uh, kind of, so we have our own hospice chaplains at Lutheran Senior Services. So Lutheran Senior Services has multiple campuses across okay. the St. Louis area and even some in Illinois. And so we have our own hospice team of two chaplains and they'll go around to anyone who's on hospice within all of our communities. So they're kind of the primary ones there, but I've had certainly several residents that have been on hospice that I've ministered to and been, been with them. So we, there's a little bit of overlap there, but you know, they would take the primary, primary lead on that. Okay. Well, Brian, it's, um, you know, your, your combined um, history with serving in, in parish ministry and of course, um, ministering to members in your congregation who are um, dying and or in hospice care or are terminally ill. And then now it's your work there at Lutheran Se- Senior Services. Um, that That's the reason I brought you on, because I'm, I'm hoping that you can kind of speak to uh, a really important life issue, as you would call it, which is caring for those who are dying um, and caring for the family who's grieving that as well. Um, you know, when you think about life issues, I'd, I'd say that there are two major ones that come to mind. Um, one involves the beginning of life, so particularly abortion. And then the other involves the end of life. And I would say euthanasia or a physician-assisted mm-hmm. suicide comes to mind. 
We have concern for the unborn, that they might live, and then concern for the terminally ill, that they want to hasten their own death by taking it into their own hands. But I think we need to do a better job as a church in the life arena with also talking about caring for the dying, caring for those who are near death, caring for the grieving, since nearly all of us have someone close who we've gone through this with. Nearly all of us can probably think of someone now who's facing death or who has a a terminal diagnosis. And since death is also inevitable for us, of course, unless Jesus returns before our natural death. So um, thanks again for joining us so that we can talk more about that. Brian, you spent a majority of your time working with and caring for the elderly, the aging. I'm just curious, in general, how do you see our culture here in the U.S. caring for the aging, and how might that be different from other cultures? Sure. So I think the the biggest shift, if we look at what how we care for the elderly versus other cultures and other points in history, is how we value them, maybe, is the right word. So in other cultures, um, and even past in history, the common practice would be if your elderly mother, father uh, needed help, they would come to live with a child, one of their ch- adult children. They'd, you know, maybe have an extra room. And really, you know, the the families would be the primary caretakers of the elderly. Hmm. And for us today, you know, typically... so. I don't want to be too critical of this because there's a lot of circumstances where this just isn't feasible today because of the way, you know, society is. And so a lot of people get stuck between a rock and a hard place and they don't want to put their uh, loved one. They don't want, you know, to, to have their loved ones separated from them. But at certain times, you know, there's blessings like Lutheran senior services that can come in and assist and really do that well. Yeah. However, in my experience, here at Lutheran Senior Services and also in the hospital setting too, appears to me or I've experienced that seems like the elderly are the most forgotten group. Hmm. So, you know, if someone, and we've had a number of residents here who don't have any family, don't really have any friends. And so sometimes I will be the only visit that they have. Wow. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And you know, it's it's something that even even as you're saying, you know, when we think of pro-life, we we tend to think of the unborn, euthanasia, and those are obviously great things to uh to highlight. But one thing, you know, that we maybe could do a better job of talking about is how to care for our elderly. Yeah. And you know, be a little bit more proactive in in that. You know, even if it's a um I can't even tell you, like sometimes I'll connect one of these people with a pastor just outside of me, brightens their day, you know, mm. a conversation with another pastor or another human being. Right. Brightens makes a world of a difference. Yeah. Well, so what you're saying is that, you know, just with different cultures and then the, the passing of time, we kind of had once an emphasis on the family coming around and caring for the elderly, the aging, or the dying within their own homes, but probably now with medical advancements and probably a better understanding of, um, you know, disease and um, the aging process. And then, as you mentioned, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, sometimes these places are more suitable for these people to to be in. So Absolutely. And I've been with families too, where Putting them in a place like, even though it's, you know, it's a great home for these people at Lafayette Groves, it's still heartbreaking, you know, for them to, to move out of a home that they've been in for 50 years and having that transition happen. Yeah. So, but it just comes to a point where because of the different circumstances that just needs to happen. Yeah. And I would say, you know, with, within my own um, context, having friends from different cultural backgrounds, the way that they talk about their family, even, you know, their grand- grandparents overseas or their their um, loved ones who are aging overseas, there's a great amount of uh, honor that they place on the elderly um, and a, a great amount of care and concern and, and almost probably a priority on them. Whereas I would say in our culture, 
specifically today, like you had said, a lot of the elderly here are, are, are kind of left <laughs> and aren't honored, rather the, the opposite. Right. So a lot of times, you know, it's heartbreaking to see when sometimes they're viewed as by society as an inconvenience. Yeah. Because it does take a lot of self-sacrifice. Just as you know, Steph, being a mom, takes a lot of self-sacrifice to change the diaper of a baby, you know, and, and things like that. There's a lot of love and a lot of sacrifice that comes in from your point of view with that. Also the same thing with the elderly, where there's a lot of sacrifice to to care for someone who uh, no longer maybe have the means to do that themselves. And we tend to, of course, really value the, uh, the baby, mm-hmm. but then not have that same zeal of doing that for our elderly uh, family members, friends, members of church, things like that. Yes. So then switching um, switching a little bit from, you know, cultural differences now to like worldview and issues of theology, how does being a Christian and having um, a concern for human life change the way that we care for the dying as opposed to someone who doesn't have that worldview. Right. So when we look at this through a Christian lens, we need to be seeing the elderly as people whom God loves, people who have value, people who are still serving the kingdom of God through their prayers, through their various uh, vocations that they that they can do. I've got have a few uh, residents here who write uh, baptismal birthday cards uh, to all their, their kids, you know, and making sure that's a priority in their, you know, kids and grandkids' lives. That's awesome. And just recognizing that they still are serving the kingdom of God, it looks a lot different than maybe we are now in our states, but they're still serving nonetheless. God still loves them. They still have value. And uh, they have a lot of wisdom, too, to give to us. If we would just listen to them. Mm-hmm. In contrast then with people who aren't Christian and then who don't have that same value on human life, um, how do you see that playing out in, in real life for these these families? Do you see it a difference where you're serving? So thankfully, I've been blessed that, you know, most of the uh, residents, I don't even think I've come across a family that has been non-Christian. We have a a really good Roman Catholic population here. Next would be Lutheran and so on. So most people have some type of a church background. So I haven't really come across anyone that, at least in this setting, that comes at it from like a non-Christian perspective. But in the hospital in Fort Wayne, that happened all the time. And what would happen, sadly, is that during those times of especially death of like the elderly, uh, no one would come and visit and it was such a big problem that there's actually a volunteer organization in the Fort Wayne community that would, I would call them up if I was really busy and say, hey, I've got someone dying. They're going to probably die tonight. It looks like, it looks that way. Can you just come in and sit with them while they die? Because wow. no one else would. And they would. Or sometimes if I couldn't get a hold of them, then I would sit there as they died because their family uh, refused to uh, to come visit them because of some you know, with the Christian lens, there's always forgiveness and, and love and unending love as Christ has shown us. But when you get outside that Christian worldview, I've talked to family members that have been like, I'm not going to, you know, they, they hurt me, you know, 20 years ago and I don't have, want to have anything to do with them. No forgiveness, no love. And, um, you know, that's on the unfortunate side without Christ. Is that what, that's what it looks like. And as we'll, you know, carry on our conversation, I, I think we'll see or the, the the point would be, so spoiler alert, is that with a, a, a Christian lens, as you have called it, uh, looking at life from a Christian biblical perspective, we would hope that there would be correspondence between our value and, and view of human life and then our care for the elderly and then our presence with them as they're dying. Hopefully that would be the case. Absolutely. Yeah. So it definitely, I mean, all goes hand in hand, you know, the, the faith that we've been given and how that's lived out and how we do care for our elderly 
and it just all is connected. Receiving that faith from the Holy Spirit, relishing Christ's love, we're eager to share that love, uh, even self-sacrificially with our elderly. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this, Brian, already, but can you can you hit again on the fact that um, you know, how do the elderly play a part or have a role in the church still when it may feel to them like they don't or they're they're stuck in in this room or or they might be in in a bed, they're bedridden or they're in their final hours. What role do they still have in the life of right. the church? Well, and it's a huge role. And I, one of the top questions I get is I don't know why God's keeping me alive from the elderly themselves. Hmm. Cause there's just such a, you know, they're, they're on the brink of going to heaven and they can't do what they used to. Uh, you know, the body is just, it's just not young anymore and it doesn't have those abilities. And, and so kind of looking back, you know, and saying, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I just, I just want to be with our Lord, which of course is something we all want. Uh, and it's important to, you know, one of the, the primary things I do in that case is to remind them, uh, of what they, of the value that they bring, even, you know, in this, in this new transition, this new state. So number one thing that they, that they can do is prayer. And one of the, you know, best ways that we can love one another is to pray for someone by their name. Hmm. And if we actually believe that prayer is, you know, does something, mm-hmm. you know, that theology and following through with our actions and that faith is, you know, we should have a high value on prayer. I know it gets mocked a lot, you know, in secular society, you're in our thoughts and prayers and all oh, that's, you know, silly or whatever. But as Christians, we know, yeah, prayer actually does something. It's actually super important. And these elderly, guess what? They have a lot of time to pray now. Yeah. So they can do that. Elderly, just in my visits with them, they can teach us so much from their wisdom. So time and time again, you know, if you just sit and listen to stories that they tell, past mistakes that they've made that they don't want others to make, hmm. um, things that they've learned along their their walk in faith, oh, it, it's just incredible. And it really gives a new insight or a new way of looking at things that maybe hadn't thought of before. And so they just have huge amounts of wisdom to impart to us that we, uh, we would do well to, uh, to listen and receive. Hmm. And I'm trying to think, yeah, I mean, there's just been so many countless times where someone would say something like, ha, I never thought about it like that, you know, or someone would share a personal experience of how God worked in their lives at a certain point. And it's just, you know, amazing to see uh, the faith being, you know, so important to them. Also, as I've uh, mentioned a few times earlier, they also teach us the importance of of the liturgy and of consistency with family devotions. Hmm. Um, for example, when I go to our memory care units, I they don't know who I am. You know, every week I come in, they don't, remember my name and, you know, sometimes we'll have the same conversation over and over again, which is great. You know, that's, that's why I'm there to, to be present with them and share Christ's love with them. But we have a, we have a service there a couple times a month and really basic kind of bare bones service. But as soon as we hit Apostles Creed, as soon as we hit the Lord's prayer, you know, they, it is robust the way that they, uh, pray these uh these confessions of faith and pray these prayers because it is something that's been instilled in their hearts from you know a little a little child from their baptisms and it's something that has been repeated so much and even as other uh faculties of their bodies are failing that is still stuck with them and they can remember that like that you know and it's just it's truly a blessing and so they, they witness how important it is for us to have uh, to meditate on the word of God day and night, as the psalmist says. And we, you see that lived out with, uh, with these people in their various stages of, of life. Yeah. Also, I'm, you know, just thinking too in terms of the church as a family and how do they stay 
how do they still have a, a role in that family? Mm-hmm. Well, a family um, is made up of people who do the caring, <laughs> and then there's the people who receive the caring. And it's important as a church to see the elderly, the aging, and the dying being as those to whom we're called to serve. And so this the church is not, of course, made up of these very depend, or, uh, independent people, <laughs> but of a, uh, they are a people of God who rely on each other. That is what the church is. And so even in times of suffering and even in times of death, they play a- another role in that they receive the, the care of God through the hands of other people within the church. Right. And even here at Luke Lee Girls, they have a, a strong community too, where they care for one another as well. Hmm. And so I see that play out so much where they really share each other's burdens. They uh, weep with those who weep and, you know, celebrate joys with those who are going through a joyous event. And so it's amazing to see also that aspect played out that they really are there for one another too hmm. and uh, support each other as well as, of course, receiving, as you said, stuff the care from the church at large. Brian, why do you think it is that people are often super uncomfortable around aging people, around old people, around people who are dying? Uh, so I'm actually going to kind of push back against this question because I don't know if I agree with the premise of it. So I've had it maybe mixed where I've had people that were super, super comfortable with, with death and maybe not comfortable, maybe it's the wrong word, but didn't shy away from it. So I've had, for example, uh, when one elderly person was called by the Lord, her daughter literally went on her bed and was crying and hugging her, her body. And it was heartbreaking, you know, of course, because she just wanted mom back. And, and so the difference in, but there's been other times where people just don't even want to come in and see their loved one in that state. And so it comes to, I mean, it, I, I've seen all across the board different levels of comfort. And for those that are uncomfortable, um, which would probably be, at least in my own experience, I'm not sure this is everyone else's, but probably about 50%, half and half. And the uncomfortableness comes from, I would say, the uh, it, it, it comes from within us that death is never meant to be a part of the picture for us. We were not created to die. We were created by God. We were created to live. Death is always a foreign enemy to us. And so, I mean, rightly so, we, death should make us uncomfortable because that's not what was meant for us. Hmm. It's opposed to, uh, to God's creation and as a result of sin and our grievances against God. So there is, you know, that inherent part of us that pushes death away, wants to live in that, in that immortal state. I mean, I'll hope, I mean, especially like in your teenage years, you know, your college years, you're not thinking about death. You think you can do anything and it's just way pushed aside and, you know, kind of have this complex where you think, okay, I'm just going to be doing this maybe forever, you know, and it's just not really on the forefront of your mind and so we like to push death away and being confronted with it again that makes us uncomfortable you see the person that you love not how you remember them you know no longer are they you know cooking your favorite dinner or playing your favorite game with you Uh, but now here's a very honest look at at what sin does. And I, you know, that question is pulling from from my own limited experience of my grandparents dying. And this is, um, wow, probably 15 years ago. In my memory of me and my own family, my parents um, being there at the hospice center uh, every single day. Um, but then there were some family members who who, who wouldn't come into town to visit. And my suspicion would be, although again, I was young <laughs> and, and didn't know, but my suspicion was at the time that they didn't want to see my grandparents in that 
in that way. I mean, they didn't want to see my um, my once super strong, uh, super big personality grandpa in a bed when um, you know he he was really um, at his final hours and couldn't do anything for himself. They wanted to preserve the memory of of how they remembered him to be their entire life rather than their last memory being of him that way. And so what would you say to that, I guess? So again, for me personally, I think it's important for us to be there for, uh, for death. It's sure. It's hard. It's tough. It's uncomfortable. It reminds us of our own mortality, but it also, the death of a Christian gives us hope that we know that this body that was knitted by God in the womb is going to be raised again. That exact same body is going to be made imperishable. It's going to be clothed with Christ's righteousness. This is not the end. And to kind of, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know how healthy it is for us to just push death aside. And I mean, really, I know there's a, a big push that, especially in our society, that death should occur in a hospital, a long-term care, you know, area, something like that. And we want to remove it from our homes, for example. And especially like if someone, I've known plenty of people where someone's died in the home and they don't want to live there anymore. They, they want to sell it and move somewhere else. You know, it, it, we need to ask ourselves, is that really a, a healthy way as Christians to be, to be looking at this, um, especially that through the lens of the cross that we know in death, in Christ's death, we have eternal life. We are given the victory. Yes, death is, is always a foreign enemy to us, but in Christ's death, we get to mourn as those that have hope that we know this isn't the end. And so when we look at, you know, when we encounter these heartbreaking experiences, we do look at it with hope. We look at that, that body as someone whom Christ will raise again. And we have that promise and we trust in that promise. Very well said. Yeah. I, I like that. I agree with that. And, um, may God give us the strength to see it in that way, um, with living with the resurrection hope. Then Brian, how, or, or what kind of advice would you give both like the church at large and then individual members of the church, um, as far as, how we can care for people who are dying, who are aging, how can we serve them? And then how can we serve their family? So let me, uh, let me start with the, the family first. One of, I think the biggest misconceptions that we have is when someone dies, you know, you, you want to care for the people. Uh, here's these loved ones that are hurting, uh, crying, mourning, weeping, and there's a lot of times where we have this, this tendency where we want to fix it. We want to make it all better. And we want to, we want to just cure their suffering. And noble as that is, that's not our job to fix it. They already have a savior. That's not us. They already have someone, you know, to, uh, take their, their burdens upon himself, and that's their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What we can do in those situations is be present with them, mourn with them, weep with them, cry with them, sit with them. Uh, Deaconess Tiffany, mm-hmm. uh, she had a really good phrase that I like. She said, in account Job, where Job lost everything, you know, his... Kids were dead. His livestock was dead. I mean, he was afflicted with sores. His wife was like, just curse God and die. And his buddies heard about all this going on and, you know, came. And I like what Tiffany says. She said that the um, the biggest help, I'm paraphrasing, but the biggest help that Job's friends gave to Job was when they were just quiet and sat with him. Hmm. When they started speaking, that's when things went really bad and was not helpful. But when they just sat with him, and we we can learn a lot from that too, you know, from from Christ's you know experience, and when he was there with uh, at the death of Lazarus, we know that it's okay to cry, 
you know, sometimes we, as Christians, especially we say, oh, we, we shouldn't be crying. They're in a better place. And no, like we see our Lord and Savior crying and weeping. Uh, Cause again, death was never meant to be a picture, part of the picture. Even when Christ knew he was going to raise Lazarus <laughs> soon and mm-hmm. he still weeps. And so it's okay for us to, uh, to weep too. Another thing that I've seen too, that happens is that, is that when someone dies, I had this happen a lot in my experience at Fort Wayne, for example, with, uh, especially there's one incident where this happened with a, a child, a child died. It was myself and another chaplain that were there. And, and the mother, of course, as any mother would, was just hysterical, just screaming. She wanted her baby back and so on. And this chaplain, very well-intentioned, you know, was like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's okay. Cause Christ died and he rose again. And, and you're going to see your baby again. And she was like, I don't care. I just want my baby back. And so, especially, you know, in the death of the elderly or whoever, it's okay for us to be with them in Good Friday. Easter mm-hmm. Sunday took a few days to come. Mm-hmm. And disciples were in mourning during that time. It's okay to say, yeah, this, this is horrible. This is not what God desired for your, your loved one, your grandma, your grandpa. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. And just sitting with them in that and then t- gradually getting to that Easter Sunday. So staying with them in Good Friday and gradually moving to Easter Sunday, not just hmm. Easter on them right away. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, those are all things that I, I've just learned and picked up and have um, really meditated upon for the loved ones. For the, uh, the you know, and just, of course, sharing scripture too that's a huge part singing hymns with them that's a big part and you know reading the psalms with them i mean and it doesn't have to be you know we we don't make a party out of it we we lament and so there's a passage for from isaiah that i found super comforting and it's isaiah 43 and it says, thus says, says the Lord, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And what a beautiful promise that is uh, from God to us, especially as we're going through these heartbreaking situations, as we deal with the death of a loved one, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, uh, great, you know, brother, sister, friend, whoever that person may be to us, you know, we just have these words and promises from God that he is with us through it all. For the dying person themselves, again, you know, the most comforting thing is that we can tell them, you know, assure them of what happens, that God is with them always. This isn't the end. You're going to be with your Lord and Savior in paradise and one of the most comforting things is kind of awkward, um, especially for me, who's not musically inclined. My wife is, but not me. And uh, is singing hymns with them. And there's something, you know, Martin Luther praised music as, as being such a, such a gift to us. And being able to, to sing hymns with the dying uh, just provides just such a level of comfort to them that's... Uh, that's really unparalleled. Again, with, you know, the hymns that we have in Lutheran hymnody, it's scripture speaking to them, which is what they need. And speaking to them in such a comforting way with, with that music, that melody, oftentimes familiar melody where maybe they can't sing with me, but they can certainly hum and are given that peace and that comfort in those times. Yeah, we even have a, a, a hymn in our Lutheran service book that reflects this. I mean, it's a, uh, called Jesus lives, the victory's won. And the, the final, um, the final stanza is faith shall cry as fails each sense. Jesus is my confidence. There's something, um, you know, mysterious and, and both real about, um, the gift of faith that despite our senses failing us, our faith still cries out the, 
the truth of God's word. Um, and that's through hymns, that's through Psalms, that's through liturgy that we grew up knowing Right. that still remains. That's, that's awesome and comforting. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you're saying, Brian, too, is, is comforting in the sense that I imagine most listeners, including myself, we do not have any CPE training. We are not a chaplain, a chaplain, I'm sorry, or a pastor yet. What you're saying, these are things that, that as the body of Christ, we all are equipped with being able to do. We don't have to go to the family and we don't have to go to the dying necessarily with the right words to say. You have given us things that we already have, which is our bodies that can go to be physically present with them without really even needing to speak. Or if we do speak, we're given the words and that's right in front of us. We have scripture, we have our hymnal. So so this should be something that we all do and we're all e- equipped to, to do. Exactly. And that's real, what it really boils down to. And that's the importance for us in our own lives to be studying scripture, making it a habit. And so that those words are, you know, just engraved in our hearts, ready to come off our lips. And, you know, just making that a habit of, you know, becoming familiar with God's word to us. So, I mean, there's been a lot of situations where, you know, I've gone into a room where someone had just died and the family is so upset. And I literally maybe say five things, but other times I just sit there and listen to them, hmm. listen to them share memories, listen to them, just share their sorrows. And, you know, when I do speak, you know, I, I just share words of scripture that are applicable in that, in that time, whether it be a Psalm of, of lament, like, yeah, this is, this is really tough and, and so on. And maybe like a couple days later, I'll get a phone call from one of the family members. And they're like, thank you so much. You were so helpful. And when I walked out, I was like, I didn't do anything. You know, mm-hmm. just, you know, you don't feel like you did, did much. You're just sitting there, maybe saying a few, five words and in a prayer, but, but just being there with them, sharing in that sorrow as appropriate, sharing those words and comfort of Christ is is something that we can all do and it makes a world of a difference even if you walk away thinking i don't really do anything how helpful was that and the beautiful thing is that when it's god's words not ours we know that those words uh always do something yeah they don't return void yeah and you mentioned isaiah 43 as um scripture that you like to read with the family are there specific psalms um, or other scripture that you go to often? Yeah, I mean, the, my number one outside of this for like a death is going to be John 11, 25 through 26. And that's where Jesus is with uh, Martha. And Martha's saying, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. And, you know, kind of just lamenting about that. And I think we can all share that frustration, you know, and, and, and that's okay because Jesus doesn't condemn her. He speaks beautiful words that I always use with these families at the time of death, whether it be in the prayer or or some other time where Jesus says, I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Um, And now I'm paraphrasing. And of course, because I'm on this podcast stuff, I uh, am blanking on what I always (laughs) say. So, but you know, the the gist of it is, you know, whoever lives, lives and believes in me, though he dies, shall live. Whoever believes in me shall never die, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and do you believe this? Yes. You know, it just, what a word of comfort that is, Yeah, you know, and just knowing that this promise, yeah, it was a promise made to Martha about Lazarus, but it's a promise made to, to you about your loved one who just died. Mm-hmm. That same promise is still true 2000 years later. Mm-hmm. How awesome is that? And what a comfort that is that even in, you know, even in a time where, you know, kind of all this grief, sorrow is abounding and you see the law right in front of you taking its toll and, you know, whatever else Satan is a, is accusing you of or trying to make you doubt that Christ breaks into all of that and says, I am the resurrection of life. 
And when you believe in me, you never die. What a great comfort. Yeah. And now, Brian, I, I guess I should just speak for myself here, but, um, you know, um, I, you know, have some ex- examples in my life currently, but then also in my past of, of visiting people who were, you know, uh, non, non-responsive or who couldn't communicate. And, and that made me uncomfortable. I didn't know, you know, it's one thing I, I think to, to, to read to someone who uh, responds and who right. can hear or process and understand. Um, but it's a, it, for me, a little bit scarier when you're visiting someone who you're, you're certain isn't, you know, hearing or tracking with you or can at least communicate back. What would you say as far as, you know, I, I assume I know the answer. Is it still important to visit them? And what do you do in that situation? Oh, 100%. It is definitely visit uh, those that are, quote, unresponsive. Um, I know at least like within my CPE training, we've had people like come out of comas that have talked about hearing, you know, having some memory of voices near them or, you know, and so there's a lot more going on there than what meets the eye. And of course we are not the author of life. And so it's uh, really God that's, that knows all the answers. We don't, and that's okay. And we, we go and visit these people. And what I do in these situations is I sit with them. I read scripture to them, sing a hymn, pray with them. And even though they're not responding, I trust that, that the Holy Spirit is using these words, you know, just like how we would, you know, say it's super important for a mother to have the, you know, to go to church, especially with the, uh, the baby in the womb, do devotions even, as weird as that sounds, you know, while the baby's in the womb. Same thing here. You know, even though you can't see the baby, you know, and maybe feel the baby, but you don't see them responding necessarily to the word of God. Uh, but you trust that, that the Holy Spirit is working through that on them. Same with these people. And, you know, it's a huge blessing. And oftentimes, again, this goes into that maybe because we don't get that response, they're forgotten, but it's a super important part of our ministry to sharing the comfort and promises of God with them, even when it seems like everything has failed them. God's word does not. Well, what you're saying then is, yes, go visit. And especially go visit. Even if it's uncomfortable, I would then encourage um, you to pray about God giving you the strength and the peace to be able to go and be present with these folks. Right. And you're saying this shouldn't stop us from no. doing this ministry. Exactly. They they deserve that just as much as anyone else. And finally, Brian, just looking back over your experience so far and, and caring for the aging and caring for those who are dying, what's something you've learned or that's had an impact on you throughout these years that you've now carried into your ministry? So it's just, uh, again, it's amazing to see the work of God in these situations. It's, you know, when it's not fun for pastors, the chaplains, uh, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with people, that's something that I personally don't necessarily enjoy because it's tough. It's sad. It's you see the results of sin just right in front of you uh, time and time again. I mean, there's been times here at Lickley Groves where I've been with three different deaths in the same day or the same, you know, 24, 48 hours. Wow. And it, it, it's, it's taxing, it's tolling. But, you know, when you look at, and um, I really appreciated the words of Pastor Harold Sinkbile, He's in a lot of pastoral care. And one of the things that's profound that he's said is that when you're someone with someone who's dying is you're on holy ground. And that really, you know, just because they are, they're being taken to their Lord and savior, you know? And so you're there at that point, you know, and it's, it's just something that is so 
so precious, something to be treasured, and you get to be with them at that time as their Lord is truly calling them home and as their bodies await the final resurrection. And so when you look at it through that, you know, you can really reorient yourself that, okay, I'm going to be with them on this holy ground and, you know, and just have a different outlook and that the promises of God in a Christian outlook can really sustain you as a caregiver, whether it be a parishioner, pastor, deaconess, whoever you are, you know, lay person, just having that Christian outlook of hope that this isn't the end carries us through and allows us to go and visit these people in these dire situations time and time again. And the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to keep on doing this. So the most you know, important thing is being in God's word constantly, looking at these situations through a Christian lens, through the lens of the cross, especially, and just trusting that, that God is there and he will carry you through. He will make good on his promises. You bring them Christ's words, not your own. In summary then, church, we, we need to go visit these people, the elderly, the dying, and the families that are grieving and who are going to be grieving. Um, just I, I would urge you to consider who in your life, who in your congregation, uh, in your family, within your, your friend group, who needs a visit and, and go do it. <laughs> right. uh, Take the family meals um, so that that's one less thing that they have to, to think about. Um, and as you said, read scripture with them, sing som- songs with them from the hymnal, uh, read psalms, sing psalms with them. These are things that, that we can do or just sit and not say anything. And listen to them. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Brian, so much for joining us yeah. and for, for walking us through this and for giving us some helpful um, ways that we can serve others in our midst. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, they drop the second and fourth Fridays of every month. Again, the second and fourth Fridays of every month. Finally, want to know how to get in touch with us? You can email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.